Would you stand with me? Let's read the words on the screen together. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are like red, like crimson, they shall be as wool. Father God, it is hard for us to be broken. Some of us, we just want to stand in our pride, stand in our ways, and not be broken and humbled before you. Lord, I pray that you would just do a work in us this morning, Lord. Lord, just as when somebody goes into surgery, they do the pre-operation, may this be that for us. So that when we listen to the scripture this morning, you would do such a heart surgery on us that we would leave this place, God, changed, wanting to live for you, wanting to live differently as a result of seeing you. You went to the cross because you loved us and you wanted to make us whole again. We are incomplete, we're broken, but because of your son Jesus, we can have a relationship with you. Thank you, God, for your grace that we don't deserve. Lord, we love you. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you be seated? This morning, I've entitled the message today, The Oscar Goes To... dot, dot, dot. Uh, I believe it's in February where the Academy will get together and there will be an award show like no other, the Oscars. Um, some of you may have seen this. Um, many millions will watch, thousands will gather in Hollywood just to see who is crowned one of the greatest actors of this year. But you know, as I sat back thinking about actors, what do we really know about them? You know, what do you really know about Harrison Ford or Sandra Bullock or Tom Hanks? I mean, we know about Tom Hanks. You know, everybody knows he was in an airplane and it crashed and he was stranded on an island for a while. You know, and then after he got off the island, he, he got on board Apollo 13 and went up to the moon. Didn't land on it, though. Um, and then after he got back from that, he actually uh, was a captain of a ship, and it got hijacked by all these hostages, or these uh, terrorists. And after he got out of that, well, the list goes on and on. We, we know a lot about Tom Hanks, right? We know he liked a girl named Janae, right? We, we know that. I'm so glad my wife's name is Janae. I can call her that. Janae. Yeah. You know, his movies have made more than $8.4 billion worldwide. About $4 billion in the United States. But what do you really know about Tom Hanks? Is that his real name? We don't even know that. Some of these actors and actresses don't even have their real name that we know them by. But the question begs to us, 
Are we acting? Are we playing a good part? Are we acting when we come here to church and we put on a good show? But when we leave here, there's, there's some people that really know us. Maybe our family, the closest ones we let in. Maybe our family doesn't even know some of the things that we're doing. And we think we keep it hidden. So the question is, are we acting sometimes? I want you to turn to Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah, he was a tough guy. He had a hard task ahead of him. He was a man on a mission, though. He was determined. I'll give you that. He accused God's people of sin, that they were rebelling against the one who made them and redeemed them. Uh, he instructed them to reform their ways and act obediently. He instructed, or he announced God's judgment on the people because of their sin. And this one I really love. Finally, he revealed God's future restoration of the people by prophesying about Jesus, the Messiah. If you haven't read Isaiah 53, oh man, wow. He revealed God's future restoration plan. I want to take a moment here and read all together here Isaiah chapter 1, 1 through 15. Because as I said, Isaiah was a man accusing God's people of sin. That's kind of tough. That's kind of a tough thing here. Let's, let's read this. This is the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. In other words, listen up. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Anybody have a child that's rebelled? This is the way he's seen it. I've nourished and brought up children, and this Judah, Israel, they have rebelled against me. Look at this. This is a slam. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know My people do not even consider me. Wow. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They've provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They've turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faints. Think about that. Why should you be stricken again? Why should you be punished again? You're just going to revolt revolt more and more. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there's no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Boy, they're just beaten up because of their sin. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land and your presence. It is desolate 
as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom and would have been made like Gomorrah. There's a small remnant, thankfully, thankfully. Look at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Look at this phrase. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? In other words, why do you do what you do? Why do you come here to church? Why do you serve as a Sunday school teacher? Why do you sing in the choir or play in the orchestra? Why do you do these sacrifices? Says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. Look at this. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assembly. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. See, they were called to have these meetings, but they were coming with a way wrong heart and with iniquity and sin. It was a lifestyle for them. And he's like, I can't stand this. I cannot stand it. Look at this. Your new moons and your appointed feasts. Whose were these supposed to be? God's. He says, your new moons. He says, all you're doing is get together for yourselves. Selfishness and iniquity on your heart. He said, they're trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. You ever felt like that sometimes? You're praying, you're praying, and he's not hearing. Could it be that we're regarding sin or iniquity in our heart? He says, I can't even hear your prayers. Your hands are full of blood. See, going through the motions is not what God is wanting. He doesn't want your sacrifice mixed with a lifestyle of me, me, me. I want, I want, I want. And the sin that you bring. Here's the deal. We know that Jesus washes the sin away for us. Thank God for that. And he's writing to a people, and he, he does give that restoration plan. That's what's awesome. But here's what he's wanting. He's wanting repentance. He's wanting them to turn and be genuine, not act apart. He's wanting them to be real, real relationship with Jesus. And there's a remedy to this repentance. You see the next line in verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. You ever been in a job or something you've been doing, working out in the garden, whatever it is, and you're just, you've just been filthy. You're like, man, I just can't wait to get a shower. What? 
they're not even wanting to take a shower. They're, not, they're dirty in their sin, and they just come. Could you imagine if all of us, we were working out in the yard, we had these dirty jobs that we'd done yesterday, we all came here this morning without a shower? Ah, oh, it would have been nasty. That's what was happening here. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. And we know, you know, because of Jesus, what washes away? The blood of Christ is the only thing. So if you're sitting in here and you haven't been washed by the blood, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior for the atonement of your sin, you're dirty. You're dirty and filthy in your sin. Who, let me ask you this question. When you're cleaning your house or something, do you ever just feel the need to take your vacuum and you, you, you just keep vacuuming in the same spot over and over and over again? No, we don't do that. We look for the dirty places so that we can clean it, right? I think that's what we have to do this morning. And that's why I prayed what I prayed. You know, I've been with folks, maybe some of you, uh, right before surgery happens. And they go through a pre-op time where they get everything ready and get things prepared. And then during the surgery, thank goodness, we can be out of it. You know, not some of us maybe, but maybe you've had an experience where you haven't been out of it. And I couldn't imagine going through that. But they put us out. And when we wake up, we expect to be better in new things. And I hope that you're here this morning expecting and hoping that when you are done seeing this scripture, you walk out of here like, this is new. This is fresh. Something's different because I've been with the Lord this morning. I've experienced this Lord's Supper to remind me. Why is it? Let me ask you this. If you've ever seen the Passion of the Christ movie, why is it so hard to watch the part where they're just they're beating and whipping Jesus? I'll tell you why. It's because we're watching our own sin heaped on a man that didn't deserve it. That's why it's so hard for us to watch. But let's get real. We have problems. We get dirty. We leave this place, and there's so much opportunity out there for us to fail fall, become prideful, become sinful, selfish. And that's why I love being with you at church on Sunday mornings, because I look at it one of two ways. How many of you like to bake or make cakes or something like that? Yeah. Some of us are like, you, you go ahead and have fun you know, with that. But think about this. When you come to church on, on Sunday, all that week you've been for an analogy, making the cake. And when you get here on Sunday, boy, that's just icing on the cake, right? Well, the question is, what condition is your cake looking like this morning? Did you even mix the ingredients together? Maybe you got the ingredients out of the fridge, you didn't really do anything with it. So now you don't really have a cake to have icing on. Then you wonder why you get disgruntled at church and you get selfish and you're like, why did they do this? Why did they do that? Your cake's not been prepped for this morning. I like to look at it the other way too. If you had a, just a crummy week, all right, start making your cake today. 
Start making it today. There's always grace, always forgiveness. Turn. Here's the point number one. I encourage you to follow along in your uh, bulletin outline because I want you to be able to take this away with you. And, and there's some practical things I think we can do when we're struggling. Maybe you're here acting the part and you've got a sin that you're struggling with. You're like, man, I don't know what to do. Well, there's some practical things Isaiah says to us. Number one, stop sinning. Stop! Um, in the season of life that, that me and Jen are in, there's so many different ways we can say stop to our boys. <laughs> Quit doing that. Stop. I just told you, you know. Um, and, and that's what he says here. Look at this. The, the end of verse 16. Cease to do evil. God is this parent. He says, I've raised these children. I've nourished them, but they're rebelling against me. Well, one thing he's trying to say is stop. Stop doing evil. All right. I want you to see this just a little short video um, maybe you have felt like this sometime in your life. You do not talk to your mother that way. I'm going to get you. Yeah, honey, I, I see you. Yeah, I see you. Do not put your tongue on that. All right, you've used up all your screen time. Do not jump off that. That is a nice chair. Because I said so. What do you say? <laughs> yes, what? Do you want to go to timeout? Timeout right now. Go to your room. What did I just say to you? What did I just say? You wait till Dad gets home. You want me to kiss your boo-boo? No, we don't spank. How do you know you don't like it? You've never even tried it. Two more bites. The crust is the best part. <laughs> Anybody said any of those phrases before? I, I love, I love the, what did I just say? What did I just say to you, right? But here's the deal. We're going to walk out of here, and maybe two hours later, maybe five hours later, maybe tomorrow, it's going to hit you, and, and it's going to be like God saying, what did I just tell you, right? Maybe you've done your quiet time, you're like, man, I, I, all right, I shouldn't do this today, right? You know, and then you're tempted to do it, and you fall, and you're like, what did I just tell you? Stop sinning, all right? There's things that we actively can do to not put ourselves in a place where we're going to fall and be just not, right in the head, okay? Um, I want you to take a moment and I want you to think about, you know, and maybe you want to close your eyes or whatever, just about 10, 15 seconds. I want you to think of the top three things that you're struggling with right now. Sin, something that's going on. And, you you know, people may not know about it. It it doesn't matter. What are the top three things that you're struggling with? Just take a moment. Now, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit can speak to you and tell you and identify the things that are not of God. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, it's going to be a little bit harder for you because what you're doing is measuring by the world's standards of what's good and what's bad. Okay? But here's what we have to do. Okay? The next point. We need to learn and keep His commandments. 
How do you know if it's sin if you don't know it's a command or not? Um, Do you know how many commands there are in the Bible? I spent all week counting them up. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No, I just Googled and just, you know, tried to figure out. No, um, no, they think that there's about 613, give or take a few, I guess, in the Old Testament. About 613 commands. That's a lot. That's a lot of commands. And we know there's a lot of the Levitical law just to, you know, make sure, you know, they were, they kept healthy, you know, for one, very practical things, commands that they were told to do. In the New Testament, okay, now, we've got, what, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, okay, how many commands do you think there are in the New Testament? They, they think there's about 1,050. I wouldn't have thought that. How many of you are surprised? I, I was surprised. I would have thought there had been maybe less, since, you know, less books, you know, that's... But no, there's even more. There's even more. And I printed off. We won't go through all this today. No, but um, front and back, there's like 27 pages here of things like seven abstain from, seven things to avoid, um, 74B, like be reconciled to a brother, be ready for Christ's coming, be merciful. You know, there's 30 be not you know, um, be not afraid of man, be not of doubtful mind. Um, amazing things that they, ten do's, ten do nots. Um, I, just a whole list that goes on and on and on. Here's the thing some of us are okay with sitting back and saying ignorance is bliss. Rather, ask for forgiveness than permission. Right? So you will take the excuse not to learn. These commandments, so you don't have to keep them. Well, that's just not right. We need to learn and keep his commandments. Okay? Um, The next point. We need to be confronted. We need to be confronted. Why is it that people get so uptight when they get told that something they did was wrong? Why do we get so... Oh, don't tell them they're wrong. It's all about your feelings, all about emotions. That's just the postmodern world that we're in. But you know what? That is not right. We've got to welcome confronting. If I've done something wrong or I've said something wrong, even in this message today, I would expect you to come to me and say, you know what, in the scripture, what you said, that's not what it says in the Bible. And I should welcome that. And I should be able to go to Scripture. The, but the one thing is, don't come confront somebody with your opinion. Confront them with the Word of God. Because that is our standard. That is our measuring stick. But we don't want confrontation. We don't want to step on people's toes. We just want, oh, you do your thing. You do your thing. When... God should confront us every Sunday morning when we hear the speaking of the word through his Holy Spirit and other people. And we should welcome that. If you're here and you're, you're not welcoming to confrontation, think about it. You're not willing to learn. You're not willing to, to change. And those are very serious things. 
God tells us we need to. We need to accept the correction, the rebuke. To, that way we can become more like Christ and grow more like Christ. Um, David was confronted. Here was a man after God's own heart. Even when Samuel went to go look at David, he was like, it's not about the outer appearance. It's about the heart. See, David had a heart for God. But yet he still sinned. He took another man's wife. And when he actually should have been out to battle, you know, the Bible says that he was around his palace when it was springtime when all the kings went out to battle. He should have been there, and he didn't make the right choice. And so he took another man's wife, wound up committing murder, bad stuff. How would you like to be Nathan? God says, Nathan, need you go confront David. Do you realize he's the king? <laughs> you realize what, if I'm confronting him with sin, you realize what he could do to me. Let's go over there, Second Samuel. 2 Samuel, chapter 12. We're going to come back to Isaiah, chapter 1. But 2 Samuel 12. Hmm. First words. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Man. Hope, hopefully I would have had the courage to be a Nathan. And he came to him. This is 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. And Nathan came to David and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished and grew up together with him and with his children. I ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife and killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. And look, go down to verse 13. What were David's first words? Man, I've really messed up. Man, I've messed up. Uriah's family's life, you know, I killed him, I messed up Bathsheba's life, and man, I did this and that. What was the first thing he said? I've sinned against God. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. He could be confronted. 
without becoming defensive, say, Nathan, you're going, I'm, I'm hanging you. You're going to get killed. I don't like what you're saying to me. I've got to, co- I got to kill Nathan now to cover up because he knows. No, he didn't act that way. He was a man after God's own heart because when confronted with the sin, he was real. He wasn't fake. He was authentic. He said, I've sinned against God. We need to be confronted. Next point. Drop to your knees. Drop to your knees. See, we need to be convicted. We need to be convicted. You know, when you look up that word convicted... It says, a state of being convinced of error or compelled to admit the truth. See, when there's confrontation, you can have conviction. David had that. He admitted the truth. Some of us like to stand in our pride rather than drop to our knees. The act or process of finding a person guilty of a crime, especially in a court of law. Basically, it's surrender. It's admit. It's admission. And I think when these people are, you know, we see it all too many times, people dying for their faith, Christians. And what position are they in? They're in this position. Total, total surrender. That's the position when we're confronted with a sin, not to be fake about it. We need to be real. And we need to be contrite. There's the next point. We need to be contrite. Feeling or showing sorrow and remorse for a sin or shortcoming. And I don't like to generalize here, but guys, we have a hard time with this. Our stubborn pride, we can't be wrong. That's why we can't stop and ask for directions, right? (laughs) That's why Moses wandered in the desert for 40 years. (laughs) We come by it honestly, right? Yeah. But our stubborn pride, guys. Man, I want to be like David. I want to be like David. When he was confronted with his sin, I want to be contrite. I want to surrender. I don't want to build up this layer of pride and callousness. And... Because what can penetrate that? If we build such a wall around, yeah, nobody can get in. Holy Spirit might be trying to get in so badly. and might be trying to pierce and show you something and tell you something. Say, get rid of this, get rid of that. But you I pray that you would be willing to forgive. Because if you don't forgive, he's not going to forgive you. That's what the Bible says. It's not me. That's what the Bible says. Maybe there's some people in your life you haven't been willing to forgive. And that's the barrier. That's a barrier. You come and make your sacrifices to the Lord, and you haven't forgiven somebody, you know you ought to forgive. It's like coming dirty. It's like, what's your purpose of your sacrifices? When God wants a broken and contrite heart, I want you to turn over to um, Psalm 51. I want you to hear David after he sinned. He wrote a whole psalm about it. Psalm 51. 
Wow. Psalm chapter 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly for my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. Listen, if you're acting, this is what God wants. He wants truth in your inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all my iniquities. I love this. Some of y'all might be here this morning at this point right here. And this is you. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. Maybe you've been here and you've had years and layers of callousness over your heart and nothing can penetrate you. He's basically saying, rip the layers of callousness from my heart so that you can speak to me. So that I can change and be more like you. Look at this, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. When you come here on a Sunday morning and you're just singing songs, just to, going through the motions, it's not what he wants. He wants a broken and contrite heart. You to be broken over the sin that you've had this past week, saying, thank you, God, for your grace that washes that sin away. Thank you, because I can't do it. I can't wash it away. Next point. Roll on out. I don't know if you've seen this, but it's stop, drop, and roll. Right? Stop, drop, and roll, right? Stop sinning. Drop to your knees. Roll on out. Now, what do I mean by that? Roll on out. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 1. It's so awesome because he doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us a plan. (laughs) This is great. Isaiah 1, verse 17. Learn to do good. Remember, go back to the commandments. Learn what he wants you to do, what he doesn't want you to do. Learn. Then look at this. Have you seen this list before? Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Now there's an agenda. 
See, we need to hear his calling. It's the next point. When we roll on out, we need to hear his calling. We get so distracted with the things of life, but here is a clear list. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Here it is. Seek justice. Did you guys know there's actually a Virginia Beach Justice Initiative? Did you know that? It's for people to seek justice. Now watch this, the mission statement. Our mission is to bring an end to the issue of human trafficking by empowering the residents of Virginia Beach and surrounding cities through education and awareness, advocacy and prevention campaigns. We partner with credible organizations that are involved in the work of eradicating trafficking and bringing restoration to former victims. Now, because there's an audience younger than middle school in here, you probably understand what I'm saying. Not just human trafficking, but things that are going on that are not appropriate with children. That's going on here. Don't, don't be fooled. Don't let us stick our heads in the sand and bury them and think this isn't happening. There is serious stuff. And I, you say, well, Tim, that's just another initiative, just some other campaign to get involved with. No, it's biblical. Seek justice. And my eyes have been starting to be opened by this. Do you know there's an international justice mission? Go look it up. If you want to write these down beside there, um, I know the uh, international justice mission is IJM.org, and you can look it up. They partner with those working in the local justice systems around the world to help victims of violence. They do this in four ways, rescue, restore, restrain, and represent. As they do this, they identify weaknesses in the justice system. Did you know slavery is abolished in every country? And yet, one out of every 280 people in the world are enslaved. That means from our congregation here, there's probably about two people enslaved living in slavery. Endslaverynow.org. Endslaverynow.org. There's domestic servitude, forced labor, bonded labor, child labor. Over in India, I've seen some of this firsthand, um, people making bricks, you know, and, and they're just forced to make bricks day after day. Because what happened is, you know, if me and Jen have a child and we need a surgery for this child, you know, and, and so we borrow money from a money lender and, and then we can't pay them back. So what they do is just start charging an exorbitant amount of interest that we can't ever pay back. So then they require the life of my child to, or me to go and work for them. Slavery. And there's crooks out there, crooked people, that IJM is wanting to go out there and they're wanting to get them and work with the local law enforcement to get them. Seek justice. What are you doing about seeking justice? Or are we just content to come, sing praises to God? Roll on out. Do something about this. He's telling us to do this. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. I think October or something is, is National Anti-Bullying Month. <laughs> Bullying is just 
rampant. Kids are committing suicide because they're bullied. But here's the thing. We've got to take an honest look at, are we, are we the bullies? Maybe in our family? Do we say things? Do we say it loudly? Do we, are we the oppressor? We've got to ask ourselves that first. Do we put an oppression on our kids? Do you put an oppression on your wife? Do you cut, men, do you cut your wives with words or hopefully not physical abuse? And you come to church and you expect that your sacrifice of praise is enough. God says, I can't stand it. I cannot stand this anymore. You've got to be real. You've got to be real. Defend the fatherless. Outreach for Christ. Crisis Pregnancy Center. Adoption. Some of you foster. You know, those are all ways to defend the fatherless. There's coming next month, about exactly a month from now. It's the weekend before Thanksgiving. There's going to be a um, couple of semi-tractor trailers that are going to pull up in our parking lot. And I don't know if you've read your bulletin yet, but it's in there. There's a description about this. But how many of you heard of Compassion International? Compassion. What they do is they put biographies together of children around the world, and they ask that you would sponsor this child. In other words, basically adopt this child, and you would support them monthly. You know, with you know, $30 or $40, I can't remember how much it is. But what they're going to do is they set up in our parking lot. They said, Tim, we just need some volunteers. We, you know, we're not even going to tap into your electricity. We just need a parking space. And they said about 1,500 people will come through this throughout the entire weekend. And they go through these trucks that they set up. And you can actually step in to what's like another world and a home of a child or a teenager in another country. And you can hear their story of what they're going through. And then you have a chance at the end with all these biographies to choose a child that you can be a part of. Defend the fatherless. I encourage you. You can sign up online now. I'm just, I'm plugging it now. Here's your TV commercial. But um, you can go online and, and, and volunteer for that right now. Um, and that's the only way you can. We'll have computers out here that you can be a part of that weekend to help other people engage in defending the fatherless. Put yourself in their shoes. Some of these kids are, are the head of the family at like eight and nine years old because their parents have died of disease or not even have clean water, and you can have a part in their life. By helping them. Here's the deal. I think I read this statistic. If you make over $28,000 or $30,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people. So whenever you read a scripture that says the rich, that's you. You might not think you're rich in the context of America. You're the rich 1% of the richest people in the world. And if we have this world's goods and we don't share it, how can the love of God be in us? That's in 1 John 3, 16 and 17. 
So what can we do? What little part can we make in a child's life? Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. There was a a New Testament time where the widows were coming along and they weren't getting their share of the the handout that they needed. And they said, we need to to, um, have seven people. And they and they went through. It's like in Acts chapter five. They they got these guys, and they were going to make sure the widows got what they needed. Do we, as a church, do we as individuals, do we plead for the widow? Do we make sure widows have everything they need? Are we reaching out? Here's the deal. Don't wait for Kemsville Baptist to come up with a program to fulfill these things. What is it you can do as a household as a result of seeing this scripture? Go do what you need to do. Roll on out. Don't wait for us. Now, this scripture is going to shape our mission strategy here at the church. But I want you just to go and do. Stop, drop, and roll. So we need to hear his calling. We need to hear his calling. And we need to be committed. So what now? Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Isaiah 1, 18 through 20. We read this earlier, but listen to this. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing, look at this. Stop. This is a big if. Don't, don't glance over this. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. If. So, so now it's us. We, we need to be committed. But I can sit here and I can, I can share with you all of this. And some of you might go out of here and say, all right, I'm going to stop singing. I'm going to drop to my knees. And I'm going to roll and I'm going to do something about this. And you're going to be committed. You're all in. But some of you are going to say, no, Tim, I got this. I'm going to go on sinning. I'm going to stand up in my pride and arrogance. I'm going to roll the dice and take my chances. Decision's yours. Here's the thing. Up here, got this nice, ornate piggy bank. That's familiar with this. Look at this. The wonderful painting and the jewels and just, yeah, interesting. Some might call it gaudy. I don't know, but um, it's very ornate, right? Here's the deal. You can put on a good front and you can see everything. You can put on the jewels. You can doll yourself up to make you look like an Academy Award nominee. But what's inside? Because you know what the Bible says? God will bring everything to light. He's gonna, he sees what's inside there. Have you been filling it up with money? Have you been filling it up with... Maybe there's an affair going on right 
now and your spouse doesn't even know about it and or maybe there's one starting and you're like, whoa, Tim, I got to stop sinning. Because God sees what's inside. And my hope and my prayer is that he sees the blood of Jesus inside here. Because if you've been filling it up, it's just going to be empty. But when you have Jesus, the blood of Jesus to cover, aren't you, aren't you so thankful for that? Because who are we? We're just empty. We're just empty if we don't have the love of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I pray that we're broken and humbled before you today, Lord. Because God, there's going to come a day where you will judge us. You will see everything we've done or not done. And there's going to come a day that every name will bow before you. God, I pray that in that moment we would have the blood of Christ that would save us from our sin. Lord, I know there's people here that need to come and to this altar and just pray for forgiveness, for mercy. Because you see something that's going on inside. And they need to do this. They need to be contrite, confess. Lord, I pray that you would have your time in this invitation. Lord, I pray that people would be penetrated by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.